Hi there. Before I get to the episode, I want to take a moment to address the June 24th Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. This decision stripped away the legal right to have a safe and legal abortion. Restricting access to comprehensive reproductive care, including abortion, threatens the health and independence of all Americans. This decision could also lead to the loss of other rights. To learn more about what you can do to help, go to podvoices.help. I encourage you to speak up, spread the word, and please take care. Now on to the conversation. Hello, hello. Anybody there? Yes. Hey, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Oh, I'm doing pretty well. Thanks so much for bearing with me. I was just getting a whole bunch of buttons in the right setting here. <laughs> so let's get started then. I'm curious how you started your creative journey. So is it okay if we start there, kind of taking a look at where you're from and what was your first creative impulse that you had when you were younger? Oh my gosh. Okay. Um, where I'm from is a really complicated question. And whenever people ask me, I get, <laughs> I get kind of like confused. Basically, I've moved, I'm 23 and I've moved 13 times. Oh, wow. And before college, I had moved nine times. So um, my dad does international relations. Mm. And in short, I was born <laughs> in New Jersey. Then we moved to Dallas. Then we moved to Chicago. Then we moved to um, Galveston. Then we moved to France and I lived in France for almost five years. Oh, goodness. So I lived yeah. And I speak French. And then we moved back to the US and we lived in Houston. And then I went to UC Berkeley for four years. I graduated during COVID. So I had to do the last <laughs> semester online. Wow. And then I was home for eight months in Houston. And then I was in Dallas and now I'm in LA. <laughs> so you you had a, a round trip to all over the place then just all over the place yeah uh, what was it like to experience so many different cultures essentially because i do believe that each city is its own culture what what was the takeaway there for you looking back yeah i totally agree and honestly when i was younger i was really jealous of the kids that got to have childhood friends and got to I don't know, like understand what it, I was jealous of people that knew where to go to get dinner or like knew how to get around a city without having to like plug it into their, well, not phone, but at the time, like look at a map or I was jealous of people who like felt like they were from somewhere and I never had that. Mm. And I was jealous of like the sense of security of knowing where you were going to be next year. Or like if right. you made friends, you could tell them that you were going to be around. Like I just never knew. And I was jealous of that. But now that I'm an adult, I feel like I have this huge advantage that I can connect with so many people. Like no matter who I meet, I probably have something in common with somewhere they're from or somewhere they've been, or it's really interesting. Mm. So I, I think it's an advantage now, but it was a disadvantage for a while. Right. Have you always been fairly outgoing or is this something that, that came about from theater experiences or, or maybe doing performing arts earlier on in your life? 
I think being outgoing has kind of been part and parcel to me having to always, I was always the new person. Mm. So when you're the new person, you're either like friendless or you're like the most outgoing <laughs> so that people have, like they can't have a problem with you. They're like, wow, she's just so nice. So there's no reason to have a problem. So <laughs> I think that's part of it. And then answering your earlier question, the first experience I had with the arts or theater, well, I started playing piano when I was six. Mm. And I, I have the ability to, if I hear a song, I can play it on the piano. And I started doing that when I was really young mm. and I begged my parents for lessons. And they're like, well, you have to show us that you're serious. <laughs> so my mom at the time was playing piano and she gave me a book of music. And she said, if you can learn how to play the songs in this book, we'll get you lessons. Mm. And so I went to a teacher at my school and this was in the first grade. And I learned how to play this book of like very simple songs. And then I got lessons and I've played piano since then. And I still play, I have a keyboard in my apartment, mm. but I've never been like serious about the piano or anything, but it's for me. It's always been for me. I did a jazz minor in college. I love jazz. Mm. That was, I guess my first draw to something creative. And then I did my first musical when I was nine. Okay. And I, yeah. What was it? I, Annie and Annie, actually. Oh goodness, yeah. So you started, you started with a with a bang there. With a bang, and my parents didn't even know I sang. <laughs> yeah, and I just came home, and I was like, "I'm in the soul," and they're like, "Do you sing?" And I was like, "Yep." <laughs> <laughs> so it seemed like there was there was never really a doubt of this is going to be a part of my life, whether it's a career or not. I'm going to incorporate the arts in in every way that I can. Well, it's, it's interesting because it's like, that's how it was in my mind, but it's not what happened because I went to UC Berkeley and I got a degree in neuroscience and I was pre-med. Wow. Like fully. Yeah. And I graduated, I got my degree, but I did a double minor. So I did acting for the stage and screen. And I also did jazz piano performance. Mm. So I did two minors and I did two summers at Cal so that I could incorporate my whole major in two minors because there's no crossover between neuroscience and right right uh, i was gonna say you'll yeah i, so, I imagine that you were running across the building because usually those areas are fairly they keep to themselves literally was running sometimes i, I had to get exemptions because i had several semesters that i had too many units to be so yeah so that's actually not exactly what happened yeah i i wanted to go to college for musical theater but that's not exactly what ended up working out. So, yeah. so what happened there? Um, what led you to, first of all, decide neuroscience or the sciences? I'm, I'm going to go and do this because it seemed like you must have had a pretty strong resolve to, to go there. And then what was the factor that led you to say, this isn't going to be the right thing for me? Yeah. Well, growing up, like both my parents went to Berkeley. And my dad is a chemical engineer and my grandfather also went to Berkeley and he got his PhD in pharmacokinetics and he's a, was a professor like his entire life. Mm. And so I was always kind of living with this mentality that to be successful, one has to get a degree in something STEM related. I that see. was like the narrative, like yeah. women in STEM are the most successful. And I was very good at, academics in school like i excelled and i loved it because it was something under my control and i was very good at it and i could 
interacting class and I could befriend the teachers and it was a very fun thing. I never was passionate about it, but I was good at it. it so it was very easy. Yeah. Yeah. It was to, easy to conflate talent with passion because it was easy. So I'm like, well, if it's easy and it's lucrative and people respect it, like, why would I not want to do it? Mm-hmm. And then when I got into Cal, it was a very easy, like, well, I guess I should just go because my family mm-hmm. lives there. My family went there. So then I went, Yeah. but it was difficult because as, as the years went by in my undergrad experience, I could get away with more and more of like not studying and still doing well, Mm -hmm. but I'm like, what's the end game here? Am I going to go to medical school and do the same thing? Am I going to be in a career where I don't care about it? I mean, ultimately to be a, to be a medical professional, you have to be an empath, like an empath to all people. And you have to be very caring. It's a selfless career. And if you're not fully in it, it's really a waste of your time. Yeah. And you have to be all in. Yeah, it's be all in. I mean, you're not hitting the job market till you're 30 years old with like thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt. So, Mm. I mean, actually what happened was my, the summer after my junior year, I was taking multivariable calculus, African musical, African music ensemble, and women in film in essay class. (laughs) I was taking those three classes in the summer. What an amalgamation, right? But, um, my boyfriend at the time, he was abroad. He was in the United Arab Emirates. Oh, goodness. Doing an internship. Yeah, there's very many moving pieces to this story. But anyway, it was like the first summer in a bit that we'd spent apart. And so I was like truly living on my own as an adult for the first time ever, which was really exciting. And I was in my own apartment. And I, I, felt, I felt this draw to like apply to acting gigs. I was like... I'm alone. No one's going to know what I'm doing. And I'm in San Francisco. It was like San Francisco, as it turns out, has a very big market for like tech commercials, which oh, makes sense because that's the industry that's there. Right. Yeah. And also model. So at the time I was like, well, if I'm ever going to like dabble in this and see what it's like without any consequence, because no one would know. And I'm taking my summer classes and I'm paying my rent, whatever I'm going to do it now. So then over that summer, I like, put together a reel. I signed with an agency in the city and I started working on 13 reasons why the TV show. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause it films in the Napa Valley, which is crazy. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. So then my fall semester, I was doing like overnight shoots with 13 reasons why I got cast as Romeo in a production of Romeo and Juliet with our school show. I was also working as an oculoplastic surgeon's assistant in San Francisco. And I was doing that from like five to 10 AM. And I would wrap on the set of 13 reasons why at like three and I would drive back, I would sleep in my car and then I would go downtown and I would work in the city. And then I had class during the day. There was a (laughs) solid like 10 weeks when I think I slept less than three or four hours a night. Like I cut years off. my. That that is madness. And I was, it's so funny. Like I'm, (laughs) <laughs> I've been talking to my friend about this and it's just ridiculous how much energy you have in your twenties where you're just go, go, go. And I, I just marvel at it. Yeah. I really can't imagine doing that now, <laughs> but so it's, it was that, actually incredible. I can't even imagine it now. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that seemed to be the summer that solidified 
things for you where you said, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty okay with this path. I had to do this. Well, it was like, when he came back, I realized I was like, this is everything I'm doing. This is just not who I am. It's so uninteresting to me. Hmm. I'm good at it, but I don't care about it. And this whole new world that I started to discover, I'm like, what is this? And it was so fascinating to me. And I just wanted to learn more about it. And I didn't know where I fit in, but I knew I needed to find it. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. then I started like really auditioning for stuff, getting really serious about it and like pouring all of my energy into it. And then I was cast in my first feature, like a SAG feature, which <laughs> I ended up not getting to be in. Oh no. Because I got COVID. Because oh, I shoot. literally got COVID. Yeah. And then that's when quarantine started to happen. And then what our, timing? my college career went down in flames because we had to fly home. And then I had to start quarantining with my family. We had seven people in our house. And then I was at home for like nine months. So it was wow. kind of like this momentum. And then it was like. Just completely gone. Completely gone. And. I wrote my short film about it. That's the project I've been working on for the past like six months. So tell me about how a story comes out of this COVID situation with family and, and how you went about refining the writing. Cause have you been doing writing before this point? Yeah. So I've always been considered like a very good writer. I mean, I, it was funny because So I'm in an acting studio out here and which I love, I love being part of like a group of other creatives. Mm. And one of the things our acting teacher said, he's very like, (laughs) he's very fun guy. He has very alternative takes on things, which Mm. you gotta love those people. (laughs) But he said something to do like as an exercise, he said, go into your email and look at the first email you ever sent someone. And I've had the same email address since I was, 12 years old because when I was younger, my parents wouldn't let us have social media and I didn't get a phone until I was 15. So that's a whole nother thing. But like, I've never felt very connected to like American culture because I never had YouTube. I never had TV. Like there are so many gaps in my like early childhood culture that I just don't have. (laughs) But anyway, I looked at my first email, which is literally from when I was like 12 years old, 2010. And I had sent a classmate like an email saying that I would edit their essay and they sent me an essay back and it's in like the fifth grade in France and it's like a French essay and I'm I'm literally grading it. I'm like going through and I've like made up my own rubric and I'm like, this is what you need to change. There's not so much fluency here. And I'm like writing all of them. It's hilarious. So I've always been very pretentious with my writing clearly well i think (laughs) it it strikes me as you being fairly specific or you have a very clear idea of how you want to communicate what you want to say uh at least that's the impression that i get where it it feels like you didn't have to struggle to know what you're looking for you know in terms of craft or story like it it was very clear yes i would agree that i think that that's something i've found in the past year Well, I'd say since 2020 is when I've been screenwriting. I've always been writing because in college I took a lot of, because we had to take breaths, like breath requirement classes. And I always, I would take like the upper level English department classes because I love writing and I I love to write like 20 page essays or like on Shakespeare, just, just love writing, but I'd never considered like screenwriting. And then when I when I had these experiences during COVID and I was working on other projects, 
the more auditioning I did and the more scripts I read and the more sides I got, <laughs> I, I would just get angry because I'm like, this is not well-written. I'm like, this is not what I want to do. Like, I don't yeah. enjoy this. Or I would ask him, like, can I have the whole script? Like, I want more context. Or I was, if I found a script I was excited about, I'm like, I want to talk to the director. Like, I want to understand. I want to know the writer. I want to know the perspectives. I'm like, you know what? Like, I can write. I'm a good writer. Like, no, I don't know the formatting, but that's not going to be the part that's difficult to figure out. And then I just kind of started creating my own portfolio by accident, basically. I just started <laughs> writing. And then by the time I came out here, I already had like five or six shorts written and like half of a feature. And then in the fall, I realized LA, I lived on the West side when I first moved out here and I've already moved, <laughs> but um, I already moved. But when I was on the West side, I would drive and I would commute so that I would miss the traffic. And then I would just like post up at cafes for hours and hours and hours. And I would write because I'm like, I have nothing else to do. So I would spend probably like five or six hours a day writing and then by like December, I had two finished features. Nice. <laughs> I was like, well, and then when I was one day in my acting class, I said this and people were like genuinely shocked. Like, how did you, how did you write that that quick? Like, how did you do that? I'm like, I don't know. I just, <laughs> I just wrote, like, I just, just wrote it. Had that I, ability you know, like, to buckle down and just get it and done. Just do it, which mm -hmm. I think comes from my college experience. Because if you have to study for something and there's a deadline, there's no choice. There's no two ways about it. Like right. You can't be like, oh, I'll just do it another time. Like there needs to be discipline yeah, and the, people need to take that seriously. The pressure like, of the semester just piles on and on. So I think that was some pretty good training for you then uh, to maintain that. Best. So what were some things, and you don't have to like single out specific scripts or whatever, but I'm curious what you saw in those scripts that led you to feel a kind of disappointment from them? Like, what did you feel was not working in the sides you were getting when you were doing that kind of work? Yeah, it's a really good question. Well, from like a purely when you're just reading perspective, if I'm reading a scene and I immediately know what it's about, I'm like very uninterested. Mm. Like if I, if I get something and I'm like, I could give this to a sixth grader, like someone who's 12 years old, and they could tell me exactly what's going on right on the page. And that is in fact, what's going on. I'm like, this is not interesting because I, I like a type of screenplay that reads like a Charles Dickens novel. Like there should be so many different things going on and it should be so slow and boring when you're reading it. I'm like, this is what is going on? Because the last 50 pages is why you've read the entire book. You're looking but for layers. Yes. Yeah. I'm looking for layers. And if I can't see those, if I can't see those, cause I don't have the whole screenplay, that's one thing, but you can tell if they're there, hmm. you can tell if they're there. And it's this, I mean, like little things, obviously like dialogue fluency and like, is this well-written dialogue? Is this how people talk? Like, look, whatever, things like that. But if you're saying what's going on, or if you're talking and saying things that you mean, obviously it depends on the context, but usually screenplays, it's heightened context or like theater heightened context, right? So most characters aren't going to be freely speaking what they mean. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> I, I always go back to one of my favorite uh, directors and writers is Yorgos, Yorgos Lanthimos. Oh yeah. He's yeah. awesome. Mm -hmm. And his dialogue is almost written in like stream of consciousness. And no, if you took 
a Yorgos Lanthimos screenplay and read it, it would probably make literally no sense. Well, it does, because like I've read all of his screenplays, but they make no sense. Mm. And they're super bleak. And like, if you just read the scenes, you're like, what are these people even talking about? Yeah, but you know, I think that's the beautiful thing about going to a different level of writing where you realize that you don't have, like, conflict at its core is the inability to communicate. And, and, and that's just kind of like the fuel for that conflict. And I recently saw, I think it was about like two months ago, The Killing of a Sacred Deer for the first time. I hadn't seen it yeah. until recently. And holy shit, that was just such a an intense, yeah. beautiful movie. But I felt like that tension caused by almost your inability to see what was coming next. And that was almost caused by the fact that you you couldn't see their motivation, their drive, but you knew it was there. And it kept yes. you guessing, right? You, it kind of kept you on your toes. But I need to watch the rest of his movies. I, I'm very much a fan now, and I, I hadn't really seen uh, very many of his. But coming back to your time quarantined with your family and how the story came about, can you give me the rundown of how that came to be? Yes. So starting in March of 2020, I came home and it was obviously very abrupt. It was like one moment we, I was in my theater class and we were all holding hands. And then we got like an email alert and my oh. theater teacher goes, Hey, we should probably like not be holding hands. And we're like, what? <laughs> and then she starts reading the alert and it says, we're like one week off. And then the next day it was like indefinite for the rest of the semester. And then the, within like two days, my parents were like, Hey, like you should probably book a flight home before this is no longer an option. And then I was back in Houston where my sister was graduating high school. Basically she's five years younger than me. Mm. And my brother had driven back down from college. He was at UT Austin and then he was home. And then my grandparents were home because my grandfather had been sick in the hospital with it's this degenerative skin disorder called PRP. Mm. So he got out of the hospital right before COVID came in. So that wow, was good. He needed to come home with us because he needed a full-time caregiver. So then he came and then my grandma was there and then my dad, his work got shut down. So he was work from home. Mm -hmm. And so in like the span of a week, literally I was at school and I was doing my thing. I was about to be in this movie. It was my senior year. I was living with all my best friends. And then I was home with my sister, my brother, my grandparents, my dad, my mom our dog and our three cats. <laughs> and that's hilarious because you're going from like your dream life, right? Where it's dream. just everything that you've been working for, uh, for the last, you know, for most of your life. And then, Oh, never yes. mind. Just kidding. Well, you gotta, you gotta go home. That, I was like using this momentum to tell my parents that I was going to move to LA in the summer and oh, like wow. do acting. Yeah. And then I come home and I'm like, and they're like, so how's the medical school thing? Oh, my word. And I'm like, oh, my God. So up until that point, they weren't aware that you were even exploring this. They, they were aware that it's something I was interested in. And never, never to like, a, this is you're going to do this professionally thing. Mm. Never. Yeah. So this was part of my master plan. I'm like, well, I'm going to show them. I'm going to get my SAG card. I'm going to like make money and go get an apartment. They're not even going to question it. And then I'm like, oh my God, what are we going to do? And then to, to top it all off, I get home and I'm supposed to fly out to San Francisco to shoot this movie. And then I go in to get tested, to get my test. I have to send a negative test and I am positive 
for coronavirus. Oh, shoot. And I'm like, oh my God. And then turns out my sister is also positive and we've gotten it from the same person. Oh. And we like figure this out. And then we're like panicking because my grandfather is immunocompromised. He lives in the same house. Yeah. And so we get home and my parents quarantine us in my sister's room for for 15 days. They oh, like wow. stuff under the door. They're like, you can't come out. We're closing the vents. We're turning off the AC. I'm like, I get it. But yeah. also like, oh my God. Uh. At this point, I haven't really seen or hung out with my sister who is 17 in like over a year. Yeah. And we're just in this room. And she's like really mad because her senior year is canceled. Yeah. Her prom is yeah. canceled. And she's in the middle of her college application process. Like she's trying to finish up her essays. She doesn't want to talk. She's like super mad. She's like, I don't yeah. like yeah. you. I don't know anything about your life. Like you're so this two week period was a very interesting period of time. The thing that's really incredible is I didn't know kind of anything that was going on in my sister's life, basically. And we were really close growing up, like very close. And, but we kind of grew apart when I was in school. Cause I just shut myself off. I did everything. I was medical school person. Nobody knew what was going on. But then when I came home, I realized that she was applying to all of her colleges for business. She was going for business. And I'm like, okay, what are we <laughs> interesting, interesting choice. And she wanted me to help edit her essays. Cause when we were quarantined, I'm like, had nowhere to go. So yeah. she's like, oh, she'll definitely help because she has no choice because <laughs> I'm like the writer in the family. So I'm going to help her edit her essay. And what was so interesting was that when I was the same age as her, my parents were obviously very gung ho on me going to school for something STEM related. I was applying to all programs for chemistry or physics or molecular and cell biology, neuroscience, something like this. Hmm. And my sister apparently it was the same thing, but business. She had, she was applying to all our schools for business. And my little sister is like a phenomenal singer. Like I'm a singer as well. I do musical theater, but she's like a classical singer. And she was a four-year all-state choir member. Oh, wow. She's been like 30 something musicals. She's always the lead character. She was like <laughs> yeah, president of her choir. I'm like, she is a singer a very good singer. And like objectively. So everyone thinks she's a good singer, obviously. And so after a couple of days in there, when I'm reading her essays, it's like, Maddie, why, like, why are you applying to schools for business? Like, what is business? And she's very defensive. And like, we're arguing constantly because this is what she needs to do. She needs to do something serious. How am I saying that to her? Cause like, I'm doing it too. Like I am not, I'm in no place to say that to her. And then I'm finding out that my parents are encouraging her to do it. And I'm not surprised at all. And so I basically proposed to her that what if we switched her applications to vocal performance and just didn't tell anybody? Oh, goodness. <laughs> There's nobody in there but us. We're in here for like two weeks. No one's going to know. And everything's virtual. I was right, like, this right. is during that period of time that all of a sudden the schools are like, hey, we don't know what to do. And we don't know. So just record videos and send them. I'm like, we can do that. I'm a pianist. I'll accompany you. So <laughs> we have all of a sudden we're like, oh, my God, that's a great idea. We could do that. <laughs> and I, I realized that I can do something for her that I wish somebody had done for me. It's like, do you want that though? Is that what you want to go to school for? And even if you decide later that you don't, at least you'll be in the program and you can switch to business. Sure. I'm like, if you're in a business program, you can't switch to a music conservatory. You're either yeah. in or you're not. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. And I'm like, Maddie, people don't have the talent that you have. They want that. You can go do business. I'm like, anyone can do that. That's the like, I just want to make money and work a nine to five thing. Like people, sure. that's not sure. what people want, Maddie. <laughs> people want what you have and you're, why would you not do that? So that's what we did. We spent like two weeks rewriting all of her applications. And I was like, I had a place to put my creative energy, which was great. <laughs> it's all about, it was, yeah, mutually beneficial. Mutually beneficial. <laughs> and now she is a, she just finished her freshman year at USC. She's oh, an wow. opera major. So oh, she's wow. in LA with me. And she is currently in Italy on tour with Labo M. Oh, wonderful. Mm -hmm. That's so great. She's, yeah. <laughs> she's killing it. And she sings the music in the short. Okay. So tell me about, about the short then it, it is part of that is, is it pretty close to what, what happened or are there some dramatic liberties and licenses taken in the short film and it's called positive, correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it all takes place in the room and we filmed it in Maddie's room. <laughs> so very, all of those conversations and all of that is super realistic to what actually happened. Obviously, I cast a different actress to play Maddie because it was funny because initially I was like, Maddie, you could do it. She's like, I'm not an actor. <laughs> okay. So we cast another actress. But I think the thing that obviously isn't true to what happened is we, we shot at a theater as well. Actually, my high school alma mater, which was very fun because oh, nice. I hadn't been back there since I was like 18. It was really cool. But we do a lot of dream sequences and nightmares and like, it's almost like what the girls are imagining if they weren't in the room and they're starting to see these materialized versions of the selves that they want to become. Mm. So they're like versions, their artistic versions of themselves start to meld together as they like realize this dream. So we have a ton of sequences that occur in like this dreamlike state on the stage, which is the part that I love because I'm super <laughs> into like the psychological thriller, heightened like musical theater esque yeah, yeah. stuff. <laughs> So it's like we're in a room and it's just a two people in a room situation. And then we're like, why is this all of a sudden like La La Land, but scary? I'm like, what? Whoa. That's a great pitch. La La Land, but scary. You'll have to save that one. <laughs> yeah. So it's a mix of both of them. So it is what happened, but it's obviously visually a little bit heightened. Mm, okay. Very. Yeah. So now that you have your script and you, you did some work on it, how do you go about getting the production ready? What was that process like in preparing for this shoot? And what did that entail? Learning experiences and things like that. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, well, in the fall, I actually made it my goal that I was wanting to learn how to make a project from start to finish. Because I wrote this feature about the, the four and a half years that I lived in France. My family lived in France. And it's like a psychological thriller horror basically and i'm like i was in love with this screenplay i'm like i need to make this get it made and i had a couple read it who were uh, had a couple people read it who were interested in it and then they're telling me how like this is how it works like you need to like basically option the script and i'm like oh i don't want that i was like i want to be in control <laughs> i want to i want to have say i'm like i want to direct it it's my life i'm like i don't feel comfortable letting someone else do it and they're like well if that's sure. the case like, you're going to need to build your career and you're going to need to know how to do that I'm like, okay, so back up. We need to go back to ground zero. <laughs> so then I had some scripts. I had positive. 
And I'm like, let's start somewhere smaller and see what I can do myself. Cause I, I was like, I think I can make a short. Mm-hmm. I just need to figure out what that looks like. So I literally started in like November and I just wrote down like, what do I think the arc of what this would be, what it would look like. And I made myself like a two year plan. I was like, I think this would be a two year plan. What's the first thing I need? I was like, I think I need someone else. I can't do it by myself. So I was like, okay, let me find myself a producing partner. So I started like looking around and asking around and I found someone in my acting class whose producer had just finished on their project. I like sent him my script. We met, we talked, I found a producer. And then it just slowly started building from there because we just figured out piece by piece. At the beginning, things were so nebulous and they feel so big because you're like, I don't know where to go or which direction. And I always come down to... You just have to like trust. If you feel it's what you need to do, it is what you need to do. If you need to email this person and ask them if they have a contact for this, do that. If you feel like you need to sit down and do nothing for the project today, do that. If like, <laughs> and now I'm at the point where things are pretty prescriptive, which I'm so thankful for because now it's like, okay, we're doing a screening this day. Okay, we're submitting to this festival this day. And now I have a social media person. Like it's yeah, much more yeah. put together. But back in the phase when it was like, I want to make a short film. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Okay, It's, it's that, a long way to go. It's a long way to go. But if you just keep asking people, I think that was something I was very afraid initially. And I think that comes part of the part of it is from how I grew up. Very afraid to rely on other people mm-hmm. because I don't know if they're going to actually be there or be responsive. But especially here, everyone's doing the same thing. So odds are if you ask someone, hey, do you know a gaffer or hey do you know a good place where i could shoot something where it wouldn't be too expensive they're probably gonna have a question for you and it's gonna be mutually beneficial mm-hmm. worst thing that can happen they don't respond right we're right. not losing anything from that yeah, yeah. That, no that's that's great to hear do you recall the lowest point of the project if there was a low point to this experience and what you did to overcome that situation Yeah. The thing that I'm learning with this, well, two things. One is it's like, it's just based on momentum. And the momentum at the heart of it, at the helm, is really based on whether or not I'm like doing things, which is really a burden, but it's a great as well. It's a blessing and a burden. But the momentum is kind of what drives how things are going with the project. And the momentum starts to lull. I find that that's when things start to go wrong. And also when communication is not clear, that's the second thing. Mm -hmm. We had a bit of a communication problem right after we wrapped shooting where I hadn't been overly clear about my director's involvement with the post-production process, Mm -hmm. i.e. like who was getting final cut in that business. But we, we ended up having a good conversation about it and things were tied up. But since this is my first project that I've seen from start to finish, well, we're not finished, but seen from start to here, um, I think learning to how to have those conversations and to mediate from like a managerial perspective is very important. And that's something that I'm learning and something I will improve at. But that was definitely a bit of a low because we came off the high of the shoot and it was so wonderful. And then all of a sudden it's like all this mixed weird energy. People feel like they're not being valued. I'm like Absolutely the opposite of what I'm trying to accomplish. Yeah. And all of a sudden it's like, uh, how do you like mediate this? <laughs> right. So that was, that was a bit of a problem, mm. but we're through it. That's and right. Better. 
and the movie's coming out real soon, I imagine. Uh, it's just a matter of time before you guys finish your post. Um, or are yeah. you pretty close to that as well? Yeah, we're, we're aiming to be done middle of August. So we oh, still okay. have a little bit of time. Something cool that we're doing is we're recording the opera pieces live at USC. Oh, wow. So, yeah, we're getting access to like 15 student musicians. So, so that's going to up the scale just a little bit. Yeah, yeah the whole band's <laughs> coming together, which is super fun. Oh, I love that. Any kind of musical is, is always super exciting. Um, just a couple more questions to be mindful of your time here. Can you give me a sense of things that have inspired you, whether it's other feature films or books that you're reading or music? What are some things that maybe it could be related to the movie that maybe influence the tone of the movie or that you're just excited about right now? Mm. Um, I have like a lot of very eclectic taste, which I know, but <laughs> well, my favorite film is Singing in the Rain. Mm. So to give you a <laughs> general tone but at the same time i love um we need to talk about kevin mm. that's like one of my favorite movies as well <laughs> why is that I'm, I'm curious and i love i love the the wide variety here but what do you like about we need to talk about kevin because that's such an intense oh, movie yeah. and there's so many things that you could go to that i'm just curious what drew you to that one it's for sure the imagery the imagery when it keeps going back to the festival in Spain with the tomatoes. Also, I think Tilda Swinton is like one of the most brilliant actors. Oh yeah. And the way that, okay, it's, it's a lot of things, but my inspiration from that movie is like heavily influenced in my feature in many ways. And I think the, I love when you have two actors who like start to meld into each other I think that's something so fascinating. It needs to be explored more. And like it is explored, but when her and Ezra Miller, because their faces are oddly similar, but mm. when they like when they go into the water and then come up as each other, I yeah. think that is so disturbing. And just the idea of the whole idea behind that film, like the psychological dilemma of having a child that you might think is problematic, I think is super relevant to so many things going on in society. Mm. And that movie I feel like is very underrated. Yeah. Yeah. It is a gun violence film, but it's also a parenting film, but it's also a relationship drama. It's also how to deal with trauma. It's also like societal isolation. She gets completely shunned from society and she didn't do anything wrong. Right. Or did she? Yeah. It's yeah. There's so many questions. Yeah, it's I love that movie. Definitely warrants a rewatch now that you mention it. It's just such a powerful uh, feature. You know, some of those I feel like I can only watch once a year. Because <laughs> yeah. I, I need it. Really yeah. disturbing. It's highly disturbing. <laughs> but no, I, I dig them. I think they're great. And lastly, I'm curious, what have the arts done for you personally in your creative journey throughout your life? And what is it that the arts can bring to a community? Wow. Um, I think the arts allow me to see things in a way that I don't know if other people see them. I wish that I wish that I knew that that's how other people saw them. I just don't know. And I think that that's why ultimately I have to do it because I want to I want to try to let people see things the way that I see them. And I think that that's why it's so important to a community because when you have an artist who brings a new perspective on something, it can communicate to another person in a way that I don't think anything else could. Because the arts are ultimately so objective and everyone's going to see it from their own perspective. 
and it's I think it's the one true thing, especially film. I mean, film or music, but film is the medium that can incorporate all. So it's this all inclusive medium that is thankfully very popular and it's widely available that allows everyone to come together and discuss a topic without it having to be said. It's it's this sort of weird medium where we can you can kind of say anything. You can talk about politics in a way that's very divisive. You can talk about any sort of like red hot button topic and you can make real change with film, but kind of without consequence to the <laughs> artist, which is great, which is good, protect the artists, but it allows for dialogue and discourse between people. And that's ultimately what needs to be happening. So that's why I think it's so important. Wonderful. I appreciate the sentiment there. I think that's a good note to end on, but is there anything else that you'd like to add? Anything that we've missed? Um, anything that we've missed. <laughs> I think we cover a lot, but just in case, I'd, I'd like to ask. Yeah, we did cover a lot. Um, oh, we're having a Q&A for the film on the 12th. Oh, wonderful. People want to learn more about it. It's kind of soon, yeah. Excellent. I'll make sure that we get some information on that for the podcast episode description. But cool. I guess at this time, I just want to thank you for taking the time to do this and uh, sharing your story and sharing this awesome project that you're working on. And I really hope that, uh, you know, when the film comes out, let us know and we'll keep getting the word out on the podcast. Okay. Using the episode description, but I really appreciate it. And I hope that we get to catch up on the internet. Thank you. It was so nice to meet you. This was very, very nice way to start the day. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time, Abby. And I wish you the best. Hope post goes really well. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all, right. all right. Yeah. I'll be in touch. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you. Hey there. Before I go, I just wanted to thank you for listening to the podcast. If you're enjoying Arts Calling, please consider rating and reviewing the podcast wherever you listen to these episodes. Every little bit helps to bring awareness about these wonderful artists that we're featuring on this podcast. And don't forget to say hi. I'm over on Twitter at Cruzfolio, and I would love to hear from you, love to know what you're working on, and I wish you the best in life and craft. Make art, make haste, and much love.